Good morning and welcome to Evangel Church Online, a safe place for everyone to explore faith in Jesus. And this morning, we're going to be entering a mini-series talking about the markers of maturity. Stick with us. Well, thanks so much for sticking with us. Uh, well, today we're gonna be doing a little bit of a would you rather. Although, uh, currently as we look outside as we're filming <laughs> this, it is like literally pouring rain. Um, but we're hoping that on this Sunday that it's premiering, that there's like some sunny days ahead yeah. and summer is coming. And so it we're is. gonna be doing like a summer would you rather. Mm -hmm. And so you've come up with a bunch of questions, right? Okay, well, let's jump in and not just us two jumping in, yes. but we want to hear from you guys as well um, because we love to hear kind of the debate of opinions and thoughts uh, behind these would you rathers. And so please join with us in the comments, uh, but you're gonna ask the first question. Here we go. Would you rather spend summer with your family in an RV or a fancy hotel? Hmm. Are you a glamper? I am a, well, like I don't even know if I would like glamping. <laughs> I'm going with the hotel. Same. We're, our, fa the, our family is not a <laughs> camping or clamping family, so yes. My whole family is, except for me, so. Would you rather live on a boat for the summer or live in a tree house? I think I would do boat because you get like the waves, it's like soothing. soothing. I always sleep really well on like a boat or like an overnight ferry or something like that. And so I think I would like that. So uh, I'm gonna let you in on a secret. I really want my retirement plan to be living on a yacht. Like nice. maybe not a big yacht. I love that. <laughs> but so I'm choosing a boat. And yeah. extra if it's a cruise ship. Even better. That'd be amazing. Okay. Would you rather get a really bad sunburn or get stunned by a jellyfish? Ooh, good question. I mean you're you are somebody who burns easily as I do know. I. I like the idea of a sunburn over encountering a stinging jellyfish. So one time I burned my eyelids, which is a thing that you can do if you fall asleep on the beach. And it wasn't an experience that I really want to relive. Um, so why not throw a caution in the wind and try something new? So I'll get stung by the <laughs> jellyfish. jellyfish. I don't know. If you have been stung by a jellyfish, can you tell us if Marcus made the right choice? Yeah, like rated on a scale of like one to 10 for pain. Um, but you know, yeah. why not try something new? Why not? Uh, would you rather ride a roller coaster or a water slide? Water slide. Definitely water slide. I am not a heights girl. I just, so. yeah, I don't know. I just, I don't really like roller coasters. Any roller coaster? Well, like, yeah. Like if we go to Disneyland, we'll ride the roller coasters. But like the crazy ones where you like have the impending death ahead yes. of you every time, I'm not about. <laughs> no. Okay, would you rather surf the waves or read a book? Um, well, <laughs> I would, probably rather read a book, but that's because I'm not very, like if I'm not very good at something off the bat, I don't often do it. It's a part of my personality. And so I would love to try surfing, but I will always be like a, a reader, so. Yeah, I would like to try surfing as well. Um, Kaya Becker, if you are tuning yes. in with us from Hawaii, have you tried surfing yet? Uh, and let us know how it is, because I would like to try, but I'd probably read a book. Yeah. Would you rather make friends with a dolphin or a llama? What, I don't know. You go first. A dolphin, of course. Oh, yeah, of course. <laughs> um, I'd like, so great. I'd like an irrational fear of the open ocean. Okay. So, 
I mean, maybe a, do a dolphin would be like a good companion to overcome that fear. And I do love, as much as I'm afraid of the ocean, I also love the ocean, so I, I'll go with dolphin. Yeah, and llamas are llamas, mean. And they spit on you. They do. Yeah. Okay, last one. Would you rather eat ice cream every day or s'mores every night? Oh, ice cream for sure. Ice cream. There's like, way more variations down. that you yeah. can do with ice cream than with s'mores. Ice cream is just supreme like in every way. Love ice cream. We're a big ice cream family, so yeah. Well, thank you for playing along with us. We are gonna pass it to Pastor Lucas in just a moment, but we also wanna remind you that today is Communion Sunday. Yeah. So if you don't have something to eat or drink along with us, um, you have some time before yeah. we do that together at the end of this service. Right now, we're gonna pass it to Pastor Lucas. No one was ever more conscious of the tension in human nature than Paul. As a soldier in Studert Kennedy's poem said, I'm a man and man's a mixture, right down from his very birth. For part of him comes from heaven and part of him comes from earth. Those are the words of William Barclay. And today we, we interrupt our series in the book of John. For those that have been tracking with us, we've been in the book of John. We're going to just take a moment and we're going to step out of the book of John. And we're going to do a little bit of a mini series. And so we're calling this the markers of maturity, discovering the fruit of the spirit. And, and over the next three weeks, we're going to dig into what the fruits of the spirit are and perhaps even what they're not. And, and we're also going to dig into the tension um, that kind of we live in as we pursue Jesus and we walk out this journey of faith. And the fruit of the Spirit is, is a term that's coined by the Apostle Paul in his writings to the Galatians. And it, it's found in this letter to the Galatians that was written about 40 to 50 AD. And if you have your Bibles, why don't you turn with me to Galatians chapter 5 verse 16, and you can kind of put your finger on that and be ready. But before we begin reading, we need to frame what's going on. We need to discover a little bit of the context of what is going on. So up to this point, Paul is, is upset because the people, they've kind of gone astray. They, they are returning to things like circumcision and the law uh, for their salvation. And so they're, they're adding on things to the salvation message, to this gospel message that Paul has been preaching and has brought them. Now, if you're new to uh, your exploration of the Christian faith, you might hear the word, you know, circumcision and wonder, okay, what, <laughs> what is the significance of that? Why are we talking about kind of circumcision? That seems a little bit weird. But once you understand that the circumcision was a requirement of the Old Testament law for the Jewish people, you'll kind of start to begin to understand the significance of what Paul is trying to say here. Paul is pushing back against the law as, as it kind of pertains to being saved, to the law as, as a source of salvation. In fact, a lot of his writings, he makes the argument that keeping the law, even the Old Testament uh, law, wasn't the way of salvation. Even before Christ, it was faith. It was faith in God. It was faith in Yahweh. He, he writes in Galatians 5 verse 6, For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. So our goal here today is to kind of frame the conversation around the fruits of the Spirit. So we're all kind of tracking at the same pace and from the same place. Now, that statement, 
that, that, that trading the burden of the law for the freedom of grace, um, it creates a bit of a tension as Paul, in, in many of his letters and his understanding of salvation, it really does create a tension because some hear that and they think, well, in that case, I'm going to get saved and I'm going to do whatever I want and grace is going to abound in my life. And others hear it and go, no, I would actually rather have the law and I'd rather be submitted to a law so I know that I'm tracking well. And, and both of those kind of are problematic as we're going to discover as we kind of frame this conversation around markers of maturity, the fruits of the Spirit. So Paul, he helps us with the tension. In verse 13 of, of chapter 5 of Galatians, he says, For you are called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So here, here's the framework in which we enter this moment in Galatians where we're introduced to the fruit of the Spirit, these markers of maturity. And the tension of being free from the law but using our newfound freedom to, in, in the best of our ability, to serve and to love God and to serve and to love our neighbor. Let me put it this way. I'm, I'm an individual. I live in a free country where I can pursue whatever I want, with whomever I want, wherever I want, as long as it's within the, in the parameters of um, the laws of the state. But, but, I'm, also, but I'm also a husband. And, and, and I'm one half of a marriage relationship. Now, now, what would that relationship look like if I exclusively pursued my individual freedoms in this country? My individual freedoms to do what I want, wherewith I want, with, with whom I want, whenever I want, within the context of that marriage relationship. Well, that would lead to a very dysfunctional relationship. Because marriage is about laying down your freedom in service of the marriage relationship. When you have both parties kind of assuming that position of laying down their individual freedoms for the, for the higher calling, so to speak, of that relationship, that's when you have healthy uh, relationship. And that's actually when you have more fulfilled, more productive uh, lives. And so this is just an interesting dynamic here. Though we have freedom, Paul is now saying in that freedom that you have, begin to look for ways to lay down your own freedoms for the sake of loving God first, but then also loving your neighbor. And as we'll discover, the fruit of the Spirit is really a list of attributes that speak to people laying down their freedoms for the sake of the Spirit in them the salvation they walk in, and the people they walk with. In, in other words, we have been made free to exercise the freedom of choosing to restrict ourselves to what serves our relationship with God and others. So, so do you have Galatians 5.16? Before we jump in, let's pray and invite the Holy Spirit to do a work in us. So Lord, we thank you for your word today. We thank you for your Holy Spirit that not only um, gives us a grace and a strength in our weakness to grow this fruit of the Spirit in our lives, 
But Lord, you also give us revelation of your word, of your truths, of Christ in us. And so, Lord, would you be our teacher today? Would you be our guide? We submit our lives to you and your working and to what you want to do in our hearts and in our families, in our lives, in our relationships. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So here we go. Verse 16. Uh, by the way, if you need a Bible and you don't have a Bible right now, myevangel.church forward slash Bible. Uh, we'll have the links in the comments as well. If you just click that link, jump over there. You can get a digital Bible right now on your phone, your computer, your tablet, whatever you're on. And that'll just help serve you in just tracking along with us. But it's also going to be on the screen right here. Verse 16. But I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now we need to clarify a few things. So we're all kind of speaking the same language and, and coming from the same places. But too often we've, we've kind of mistakenly taken this this transliteration from the Greek that we now have in English in our Bibles. And I know my version here in the ESV says the flesh. Now, the problem is sometimes we can read that and we think, well, the flesh means the body, the desires of this physical body. So our hungers, our appetites, all of that, all that comes with this physical body. But, but, but when Paul talks about this flesh, he's talking about more than just the physical body. He's talking about the body as part of it, but he's also referencing the soul. Uh, you, you might call it the heart, the soul or the heart. Those two things would be interchangeable. Now, I think this is important to kind of explore because in today's society, in today's kind of ideology, in the mainstream, in, in the way that we kind of perceive humanity as a whole, uh, we can have this kind of altruistic idea of the human being that somehow uh, we find truth within us. We find truth in our heart. We find truth in our soul. We, we just know that we know that something is right or something is wrong or something is worth pursuing or something is not worth pursuing. But the problem with this is this is not a biblical worldview when it comes to the soul and to the heart of mankind. Jeremiah the prophet, he warns us of this when, when he writes, the heart is deceitful, Jeremiah 17 verse 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? So the biblical worldview comes from a standpoint that the heart of humanity is, is wicked, but it's, it's not just wicked, it's deceitfully wicked. If we're not careful, we can begin to believe the, our own press about what we desire and what we want and, 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 and we can justify anything being right or anything being wrong, but it's deceitfully wicked. So Paul paints a clear picture that, that though we would like to believe that human beings in and of ourselves are, are intrinsically altruistic, the truth is we're not. We're not. Our default motivations, actions, and pursuits are more often than not opposed to the way of the Spirit of God. 
He's setting us up to understand that the ways of the flesh and the ways of the spirit are diametrically opposed to one another. This is the biblical worldview. Now, I know for some of you, this may be a hard teaching, especially if you've grown up in today's society that, that, that's very humanistic in its, in its idea and paradigm about our existence in this world. But clearly, Paul is teaching a very different reality, and he paints a picture by calling out the ways in which the flesh, the body, and the soul, the heart, overwhelmingly play this out in Life. So let's, let's go on because he makes it very practical. He kind of paints a picture for us. In verse 19, now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you. As I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, now some of the things on this list are pretty self-evident, so we're not going to do an exhaustive study of each word. But I do want to explore a few of the words that he says here so we can kind of get a better idea. Because oftentimes, what is transliterated from the Greek into English doesn't do it justice. And so... Let's just take a look at a few of these words. Sexual immorality. William Barclay, he writes, It has been said and said truly that the one completely new virtue Christianity brought into this world was chastity. Christianity came into a world where sexual immorality was not only condoned, but was regarded as an essential part of everyday life. Now, it's interesting as I read that because this has really become... Uh, a countercultural point again in, in our culture, in our moment, and in this age. Now, this, the, the next word I want to look at is impurity. And this word has a number of meanings. It's a word to describe, uh, excuse me, but it's a word to describe pus in an inf infection, uh, a tree that's never been pruned. But, but more to our application, um, it describes being ceremoniously unclean to approach deity. So in some ways, this is a bit of a catch-all because please understand that as Paul, often he'll list these things out, but it's not an exhaustive list. He's not, the point isn't being an exhaustive list. So this, this moment, this impurity is kind of a catch-all for all of our brokenness, all of the things. Now, the next word is sensuality. Now, this is in the ESV. You may have some different words. So if you're tracking, um, you may have some different words in your translations. But the idea is of people who are so bound up in their own desire that they have ceased to care about how it affects others around them. So, so think of kind of the addictive cycles. To think of those that, that pursue pleasure at the cost of the closest relationships that they have. This, this is this idea of sensuality. Uh, enmity and strife, it, it kind of speaks to those who seem to love to be in constant conflict. I don't know if you know people like that, that they, it just seems like their favorite thing to do is to be in conflict with people. And, and as a result of that, they, they often kind of remain on the fringes of community. They, they re remain on the fringes of society, they burn relational bridges in order in order to be right. Um, 
And and so he's saying, don't that that's the work of the flesh. That is not that's not that's diametrically opposed to the ways of the spirit. Uh, the next word, envy. Now this is an interesting one, and I am going to read from William Barclay to help me unpack this. And he writes this this word. Uh, Phythonus uh, <laughs> is a mean word. The Greek dramatist uh, Euripides called it the greatest of all diseases. The essence of it is that it does not describe the spirit which desires nobly or ignobly to have what someone else has. It describes the spirit which grudges the fact that the other person has these things at all. It does not so much want the things for itself. It merely wants to take them from the other. The Stoics defined it as grief at someone else's good. The fourth century church father, Basil the Great, called it grief at your neighbor's good fortune. It is the quality not so much of the jealousy, uh, of the jealous, but rather of the embittered mind. What, what a, I, as I read this, I, I began to understand a little bit maybe of the culture in which we live in today. This envy, this begrudging of anyone that has. And it's an interesting dynamic. It's an interesting um, position of the heart and the soul. And, and really the scripture is saying this is a broken position. This, this is not a position of the spirit. It really is a part of this deceitful flesh nature, this deceitful heart that is wicked. Now notice the dichotomy as we unpack the practical expressions of the flesh and, and the spirit. The works of the flesh, they undermine our relationships. First and foremost, they undermine our relationship with the spirit. And so if we pursue these things, on an ongoing basis, the gap between us relationally and the spirit at work in us begins to grow. It, it, it comes between us and our relationship with God, but, but it also secondarily comes between us and our relationships with our neighbors and with our friends and with our family. It undermines our ability to be a part of community. The freedom of the spirit is one that empowers us to restrict our descent into the ways of the flesh and the soul and the heart. But the irony is that as we restrict our so-called freedoms, we, we actually discover that there's a greater freedom. And, and this freedom is described to us as the fruit of the spirit that begins to grow as we walk lockstep with the spirit in our lives. Now, we're not going to get there this week. Uh, Pastor Lisa is going to take over next week and begin kind of jumping into the list. And then Pastor Marcus after her in two weeks from now. But today, I just wanted to frame the conversation around the gifts of the Spirit. Now, but before we finish today, we do need to address kind of the elephant in the room because there's a bit of a doozy at the end of the passage that we just read. And that's found... In Galatians chapter 5, verse 21, the second part of verse 21, it says, I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, as we read that, I think we all feel the tension of that statement. 
And why is that? Well, because we have all descended into the baser parts of our nature from time to time, even us as believers. If you haven't, I don't know what to say, but I know I have. Um, those moments and those seasons and those times where you descend into the baser nature, the, the flesh, the heart, you, you give into the deceit of your own heart and you begin to pursue some of these things that you know that you shouldn't. And, and it can be easy to kind of read a verse like this and go, oh, you know what? <laughs> I, I already messed up, so I'm just going to give up. I don't know if you've been on a diet or if you've, you've been in a, like a restricted kind of diet situation and you're doing good and you're rolling and, and day after day and then all of a sudden something comes up, that workplace party or that long weekend. And for me, it was this weekend, it was my birthday. And so uh, all of a sudden there's a meal and there's cake and there's all this stuff and you fall off the wagon. And then you get into this mindset, this attitude, well, you know what? I may as well just go all in. It's not working. I may as well just give up because of that one slip up. And sometimes our faith can kind of, the, the enemy can kind of convince us that as we kind of live out this faith journey and also we have one slip up and the enemy comes in and goes, see, you know what? You're hooped anyway. So you may as well just do your own thing. And, and that's not the case here. That's not what Paul is trying to say. Now, I love the idea of this idea of fruit because there's a, there's a process with fruit. There's a process of planting and watering and pruning and tending. And then there's harvest. It's not a one-time moment. It's a, it's a process. And James, James kind of speaks to the reverse process when he writes in James 1, 14 to 15. He says, But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, notice the process, gives birth to sin and sin when it is fully grown brings forth death now here's the deal those who live a life with a perpetual habitual pursuit of our fallen nature where we water that thing and prune that thing and tend that thing it, it goes from seeds of temptation and it gives birth to, to fruit of of sin and then when it comes to harvest time, it actually harvests death. But notice that it is a progress. The dichotomy of the fruit of, of death and the fruit of the Spirit is being intentionally exposed here. Um, and it's not because God's salvation is fickle and fragile. Because Paul knows that a trajectory of sin will eventually, if we, if we pursue a trajectory towards sin in our flesh and our heart, it will eventually mature to a place where we walk away from the things of the Spirit altogether all because it ends in death. So it's a trajectory. It's a process. It's a pursuit thing. It's not a slip-up thing. So for some of you, maybe you have slipped up. You've messed up. You know what? There's grace for you. There's forgiveness for you. Come back to the cross. Maybe you've been away from the church for a while. Friend, there's grace for you. There's forgiveness for you. Your story isn't written. It isn't finished. God can change the trajectory and the process and the planting and what you're planting and watering and tending and pruning that will lead to life as opposed to death. But the alternative is also true. The pursuit of the Spirit leads to fruit that grows 
and it matures into life, not just for you, but for those around you. They're, they're the markers of maturity, and this is the framework in which we're gonna kind of pursue this little mini-series of the fruit of the Spirit. So I, I hope that I've helped you frame the conversation as we move forward around the fruit of the Spirit. It, it speaks to a better way of living life, a better way of loving God and loving your neighbor. It, it's, it's the way of the Spirit. It's the alternative to the way of the flesh, the heart, the soul. But it, but it also speaks to walking lockstep in relationship, in proximity to the Spirit of God. And here's what we need to understand because the fruit of the Spirit, notice, fruit of the what? Spirit. This is not fruit that comes from our heart or our soul or our altruistic, uh, you know, goodness from within us. No, this is fruit that is supernatural fruit that develops from the Spirit within us. And here's why this is so important because sometimes uh, we can want to go back to the ways of the law, submitting to the law, and, and, and Paul is trying to argue here, don't go back to the law because the Spirit is walking with you. The Spirit is alive in you and He is going to lead you and guide you into this fruit growing and maturing, these markers of maturity growing and maturing in you. And so it's also not about behavior modification. The pursuit isn't just to look more and more like Jesus each day, though we say that all the time. But it's motivated by this moment of Jesus pursuing us with his love. And so we return, we return, we, we respond to his love by pursuing him with our hearts and with our love. And that is the pursuit, that is the motivation. It's not just about behavior modification. Um, in that way, the fruit of the Spirit can almost become like the law again and become this great burden that we have to walk out. But rather, if it's motivated out of this pursuit of the Spirit, this pursuit of knowing God and being with God, He will begin to work out as we walk lockstep with the Spirit. We say no to the things of the flesh and we begin to grow in the fruit of the Spirit. Friend, either way, your life is growing something. You're watering, you're tending, and you're pruning, and you are maturing something in your life. The question you have to ask is which garden are you tending? I pray that the fruit of the Spirit would grow in you, and those markers of maturity would be evident for all to see. And as they grow in you, that you would be uh, so closely knit in, in your relationship with God, but also your love for your neighbor. Let's, let's close in prayer. Lord, thank you for this moment of just framing this conversation around the fruit of the Spirit. And Lord, we understand that we are tending. Our lives in many ways are, are like tending to a garden. And God, there is fruit, there is seeds that have been planted. There are seeds of death that have been planted in our lives, things spoken over us belief systems that we've adopted, all, all sorts of things, Lord, that if we can choose to tend to and our heart would deceive us to tend to them. But Lord, there's also, if those that have said yes to Jesus, Lord, your spirit is in us. We are filled with the spirit of the living God. And Lord, if we choose, Lord, we can pursue lockstep with the spirit of God, growing fruit of the spirit 
that changes everything, that removes barriers from our relationship with the Father and with Christ, that allows us to be contributors to community in greater ways, that, that gives us the grace to love our neighbor as ourselves. So Lord, would you give us strength to tend the garden of grace, to tend the garden of the Spirit in our hearts and in our lives. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Well, thank you so much for joining, and I'm gonna turn it back to our team. Well, friends, I'm so excited to gather in communion together and just to be able to share this moment with you. And as I think about communion, it's such a, it's such a full and rich um, kind of practice that we get to do together as believers. Because when we think about communion, often we think of remembrance. Um, Jesus commands us to remember him. And so we kind of have this backward look uh, to the cross, to Jesus' death and resurrection, and the wholeness and life and restoration that brings for all of us. And uh, at the same time too, it's not just that we're looking in like the rear view mirror, but communion is really about also looking forward and hope to that moment where we don't celebrate in remembrance of him, but we celebrate with him where we have that banqueting table in eternity with him, where we get to share um, in that kind of moment, uh, but with Jesus reconciled to him. And so it's just so cool that not only do we remember backwards, but look hopefully and joyfully forwards, um, but that when we think of Jesus, his body broken, his blood poured out for us, the sacrifice that he made, that not only does it cover what we've done in our past, but it covers us right now and it covers us for what uh, we may do in the future. And so it's just so interesting that community has so many of those elements that's not just for what has been or what was, but what is and what could be and will be. And so I just really hope today that we get to experience the fullness of what communion is, that it's not just looking back, although that's important, but that it's for you right now. It's for us right now and it's for us in the future as we hope and wait uh, for that return of Jesus in a way uh, that he comes with his love and his justice and his mercy. And so we're going to read together from 1 Corinthians chapter 11 uh, as Paul kind of recounts the story of when the disciples had that first communion together. It says, uh, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And we had, when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And so as we hear that, as we remember, uh, let's take the bread together. And in the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. This is the future that we get to look toward. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So let's do that together. Well, Pastor Lisa, as we uh, finish off this moment of communion together, would you pray for us? Absolutely. Well, God, we thank you so much that you loved us enough to come to this earth bodily. Jesus, that you took all of that pain and the consequences of our sin upon yourself, that we could have a relationship with you and that we could look back in remembrance of that moment of salvation, that moment where you drew us to yourself. And as Pastor Marcus shared, we also thank you that that isn't a past thing, that that the cross continues to cover our failings and our fumblings. We thank you that you pour on us grace upon grace, that you continue to atone 
as we set our heart and our mind on you, you continue to atone for all of the things that we do going forward. And we thank you that this journey is not just one that we live in this life, but we have the hope of a future with you. We have a hope of heaven. We have a hope of, of seeing you face to face that as we come back to this table and remember, we can, we can look forward to with such anticipation. And so would you birth that in us once again this morning as, as we go to all the places that we're going to go this week, would you allow us to reflect you well? Would you allow the hope that we have in you to be contagious? We are people that, that are light in a world of darkness. Would you help us to radiate you well? In your precious name, amen. Amen. We have a few announcements for you before we close this service. Well, as you may have been listening to the news, we have some great news. Mm -hmm. um, and we shared with you last week about that. And we are pre-recording these because yes. our staff is away staggered um, right now. And so if you come in, you'll see one or two of us, uh, but we are taking the, the opportunity right now to visit our families yeah. because we know that We've got some building to do as we come back together and we are so excited to do that, but we wanna do that rested for you so that we can give you our best. Well, at this moment, what we can tell you is that our first Sunday morning is going to be July 4th. <laughs> so that allows all of us to be back here and to have a little bit of time to put pieces into place. Right now, all we can tell you is that we're kind of operating in the same way that we were in the fall. Um, that may change between now and then, but for right now, you will need to register for that service. You will need to wear a mask, and we will have our seats socially distanced the same way that we were doing when we were meeting um, this fall. And so just be prepared for that. It, will change as we move forward um, into the remainder of this year. It won't always be this way, but we do want to honor our BC government and the just protocols that they have placed for us. And so we're excited, guys. Yeah, we are. We're ready. Yeah. And then finally, if you've been journeying with us and uh, you want to add maybe a practice uh, that is outlined in scripture, uh, would you consider giving? Uh, we can't do what we do here and around the world without uh, your generosity and your faithfulness. And so if you do want to give uh, to what we do here, all the information there can be, find, can be found on myevangel.church forward slash give. It'll give you all the ways to do that, whether that's here uh, in person or online. But thanks so much for joining friends and we will see you again next week.